Question one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, my constituents in Wrexham welcome the announcement by the Chief Medical Officers of Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and England to reduce the UK COVID alert level from four to three. Indeed, through my work at the Wrexham Isla Hospital, I have seen a reduction in the number of COVID positive cases needing to be treated. So does the Prime Minister agree with me this UK-wide approach is what works and we need to continue to do this to beat the pandemic? Well, Mr Speaker, first of all, can I personally pay tribute to her uh, for the shifts that she has put in throughout the pandemic? And, uh, of course, to thank all her colleagues at the Wrexham Marlow Hospital, which I, I know, and uh, to say that that is indeed the way in which we will beat the pandemic by working together across all four nations of our country. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Government announced the next stage of easing lockdown restrictions. If that plans to work, and we want it to work, we need an effective track, trace and isolate system. The Prime Minister promised a world-beating system would be in place by the 1st of June. The latest figures from yesterday's press conference hosted by the Prime Minister showed that 33,000 people are estimated to have COVID-19 in England. The latest trace, track, trace and isolate figures show that just over 10,000 people with COVID-19 were reached and asked to provide contact details. I do recognise the hard work that's gone into this, but if two-thirds of those with COVID-19 are not being reached and asked to provide contact details, there's a big problem, isn't there? On, on the contrary, Mr Speaker, I think that the Right Honourable Gentleman has been stunned by the success of the uh, test and trace operation, and, and contrary, to his, contrary to his prognostications of gloom, it has got up and running, I think, much faster than uh, the doubters expected. And uh, they are getting it done. Uh, Dido Harding and her team have recruited 25,000 people. And so far, they have identified and contacted 87,000 people who have voluntarily agreed to self-isolate to stop the disease from spreading. Now, I don't think uh, he would have uh, predicted that a few weeks ago. And I think he should pay tribute now to Dido and her team for what they're doing. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister just hasn't addressed the question I put to him. I wasn't asking about those that have gone into the system, the 10,000, or who's been contacted. I was asking about the two-thirds of those with COVID-19 of the 33,000 who weren't reached. This is a big gap. And the Prime Minister risks making the mistakes he made at the beginning of the pandemic, brushing aside challenge, dashing forward, not estimating properly the risks. If two-thirds of those with COVID-19 are not being contacted, that is a big problem. Because if we don't get track, trace and isolate properly running, we can't open the economy, we can't prevent infection disease, uh, uh, spreading. So let me ask a question in a different way. What's the government's strategy for closing the gap between the number of people with COVID-19 and those going into the system? not what happens to those that go into the system. Oh, 
Speaker, I, I, I hesitate to accuse the right honourable gentleman of, of obscurantism. He's misleading uh, on, the, on the key point. The number of, of, the number of people with COVID, of course, is an estimate uh, in this country. Uh, Mr. Speaker, and inadvertently, Prime Minister, one of us is going to have to give way. It will have to be you, Prime Minister. Obviously, nobody misleads a no honourable member ever, whichever side they're from. Prime Minister, he's inadvertently, I think, uh, giving a false impression of of, of what uh, Tess and Trace is, is doing. The, the, the 33,000 uh, cases in the country is, of course, an estimate. What test, NHS Tess and Trace is doing is contacting the vast majority of those who test uh, positive and and. And, and their own contacts and getting and getting them to self-isolate and it is a formidable achievement Mr Speaker and yesterday uh, the right honourable gentleman was kind enough actually to say that he supported our policy and supported our programme I seem to remember him saying that loud and clear yesterday today today and I, as, as I say I understand the constraints of the profession in which he used to work I know how it works yesterday and today he seems to be yo-yoing back into a position of opposition which is it is he supporting what we're doing or is he against it uh, Mr Speaker, the figures I gave that the Prime Minister says are inadvertently misleading are the slide at his press conference yesterday and the slide at the Government's press conference last week, the latest figures. They're the two figures. Uh, 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 Mr Speaker, uh, I, do support, I do support the next stage of the operation, but the Prime Minister is wrong to reject challenge. 65,000 people have lost their lives because of COVID-19. The Prime Minister should welcome challenge that could save lives rather than complaining about it. Another risk to this plan is if local councils don't have the powers and resources to implement local lockdowns. There's a report today that eight out of ten councils face bankruptcy or cutting services. Many of those are in the North East and Midlands, whereas the Prime Minister knows the worst affected areas for COVID-19. And the real concern amongst council leaders is that they don't have the powers or guidance to implement lockdowns quickly if needed. The Conservative leader of Oxfordshire Council said, I'd be interested for central government to confirm what is meant by local lockdown, including clear guidance as to those powers and what's expected of us. Can the, can the Prime Minister tell us when local authorities will get the guidance that they need? Uh, Mr Speaker, everybody understands, and they, we've seen it already across the country, when there are local outbreaks, for instance in uh, Western Supermare or uh, in uh, GP surgeries in, in North London, uh, there have been local lockdowns, uh, local crackdowns. We have a very effective cluster busting operation, uh, which is designed to ensure that we keep those outbreaks under control. Local councils understand uh, how to do it with the local resilience forums, backed up by the Joint uh, Biosecurity Centre. That is how it works and that is how it is going to work. And it is a very effective way of keeping this disease under control. I'm not going to pretend to him or to the House that this thing is beaten or that the virus has gone away because clearly that is not the case. We have to remain extremely vigilant and local councils will be supported in doing their vital work in implementing local lockdowns. Thank you Mr Speaker. Can I now turn to the app? This really matters because unless someone with COVID-19 can name and identify everybody they've been in contact with, the app is the only way of tracing unknown contacts. Uh, the uh, Honourable Member for Hove uh, made precisely that point uh, yesterday. He gave the example of how on earth do you trace everyone in close contact 
at a seafront or in a park without an app. Up until last week, the government maintained that the app was critical, another of their slides. But at the weekend, the Health Secretary downplayed the app, saying it was only ever additional support. So which is it? Critical or not? Mr Speaker, I wonder whether the Right Honourable Gentleman can name a single country in the world that has a functional contact tracing app, because there isn't one. What we have, what we have and I think what has, uh, I'm afraid, uh, left the uh, opposition slightly floundering, is a very successful test and trace, uh, NHS test and trace operation, uh, which yesterday uh, they supported. Yesterday uh, they said it was good enough uh, for this country to go forward uh, with step three of our plan. Today they're yo-yoing back again and saying that it's not good enough. Uh, I think they need to make up their mind. I think they need to get behind NHS test and trace and support it and take the country forward together. Germany. App working 15th June. 12 million downloads. 12 million downloads. Mr Speaker, I checked that overnight. 12 million is way beyond. The Health Secretary said we'd have the app by mid-May, presumably on advice. The Prime Minister said we'd have it by the 1st of June. Now the Government Ministers say it won't be ready until the winter. We spent 12 million on this. Other countries are ahead of us. When are we going to have a working app? Mr. Speaker, I'm afraid, I'm afraid he's completely wrong because uh, it, no country in the world has a, uh, a working contact tracing app. And we, I've always been clear, we've always been clear that the app would be the icing uh, on the cake. Well, if we can get it to work, if we can get it to work, it would be a fine thing. But there isn't one anywhere in the world so far. Uh, what we do have is a fantastic uh, test and trace, NHS test and trace operation that is already up and running, uh, that is going to get better and better and will be indispensable uh, to our future success. And I think he should support it. And I think, by the way, uh, that he should, he should be make much clearer that he supports our, our programme going forward. And uh, when he, when he, when he, since he mentions Labour councils and, 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 and uh, support for Labour councils, perhaps he uh, might clear up the position uh, of yesterday and just say once and for all that Labour councils should be encouraging children in their areas now uh, to go back to school. Isn't it? He, uh, we heard some warm, warm words from him yesterday. Can he now confirm that he wants all, all children who can go back to school to go back to school this month? Yeah. Yes, the only U-turn here was the Education Secretary on the 9th of June, who ripped up the government's plan to have children back into school before the summer break. Mr Speaker, there's a theme to these exchanges. Last week I asked the Prime Minister about two claims about child poverty. He said absolute child poverty and relative child poverty have both declined under this government. On Monday, the Office of the Children's Commissioner ruled that the Prime Minister's answer was mostly false. The Prime Minister also said there are 4,000 fewer families living in poverty now than there were in 2010. On Monday, the Office of the Children's Commissioner ruled that that was simply false. He's been found out. He either dodges the question or he gives dodgy answers. Mr Speaker, no more witnesses. I rest my case. Will the Prime Minister do the decent thing and correct the record in relation to child poverty? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm happy. I'm happy to point out to the, 
to uh, to my learned friend uh, that uh, actually uh, actually there are, there are, there there are a hundred thousand fewer children in absolute poverty five hundred five hundred thousand children falling below below thresholds of low income and material deprivation. This government, as he knows, is massively increasing uh, universal credit seven billion more to help the poorest and neediest families in our country. We're getting we're getting on with it. We're taking the tough decisions, and he still can't make up his mind. Talking about child poverty, the single biggest determinant of a child's success is whether or not he or she goes to school. He still won't say. He still won't say whether children should go. To I think, Mr. Speaker, it's absolutely infamous for him to come to this house one day and say he supports the programme, and then the next day not to confirm that he wants kids to go to school now. Mr Speaker, seafarers, global key workers, have given us goods from food to medicine during Covid, but this is now all under threat. 400,000 mariners are stuck on board their ships due to the failure of countries agreeing crew changes. The United Kingdom is the world's leading maritime nation and we are home to the IMO, which gives us a unique responsibility. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree to meet with the Chamber of Shipping to marshal the global community to help get our seafarers home and ensure that free trade continues to flow? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. My honourable friend uh, knows uh, a great deal about the subject that she, uh, whereof she, she now speaks, and uh, we will remain fully committed to the welfare of all seafarers, regardless of their nationality. We ask all states to, to do the same, and I look forward to discussing that uh, in person uh, with my honourable friend. Heading to Scotland with the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will want to join with me in passing on condolences to the family of the three children that sadly lost their lives in a house fire in Paisley last Friday evening. Fiona, Alexander and Philip Gibson. Such a terrible tragedy. Mr. Speaker, this morning we heard growing concerns from medical experts about the real risk of a second wave of COVID-19. At the same time, experts at the Fraser of Allender Institute outlined the scale of the economic challenges ahead with a raft of redundancies and business closures if financial support is withdrawn. And they warned that measures that risk a second wave of the virus would delay recovery in Scotland until 2024. This health and economic emergency requires an unprecedented response. On Monday, the Scottish Government's Economic Advisory Group, led by independent business leaders published their initial analysis to secure a strong recovery. Will the Prime Minister welcome these efforts in finding a way forward out of this economic crisis? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I will uh, be only too happy to study the, the documents which the Right Honourable Gentleman refers. Ian Blackford. I'm grateful to the Prime Minister for that answer and I'm glad that he agrees that we need to take every action to study and aid the economic recovery. And I'm sure that he's aware that the Scottish Advisory Group has called for an accelerated review of the devolved fiscal framework. Crucially, it has supported a significant increase in access to capital to stimulate an investment-led recovery in Scotland. Scotland can make different choices and invest in a strong recovery, but we can only do it with the necessary financial powers. Our First Minister and our Finance Secretary have already made a request for more borrowing powers. Will the Prime Minister implement the recommendations of these business leaders 
and give the Scottish Parliament the economic powers it needs to fuel a recovery in the wake of the pandemic? Or will the Prime Minister put Scotland's economic recovery at risk? Well, I, I, I respectfully remind the, the right honourable gentleman that the, uh, the, the Scotland uh, has so far received, as part of our UK uh, campaign against uh, coronavirus, £3.8 billion now in Barnet uh, consequentials, a, a, a fact that I'm sure is seldom off his lips in his uh, discussion with his SNP uh, colleagues. We will continue to invest massively in Scotland because Scotland, like the whole of the UK, benefits from being part of the oldest and most successful political partnership anywhere in the world. And I congratulate the SNP, by the way, on their U-turn, which could be, I think, copied with advantage by our, our friends on the front bench opposite, on their U-turn on education and getting all kids uh, into school. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The people of Keighley and I are sick of drug gangs openly selling drugs across Keighley's streets, but also grooming young, innocent children to do their dirty work. Can the Prime Minister update me as to what progress is being made to deliver on our manifesto commitment to ensure West Yorkshire Police have the resources and personnel they need to tackle these drug dealers who are infecting Keighley's soul? My, my honourable friend is, is absolutely right to point out the, the evil that is done by uh, drugs gangs around the whole country. And it, it, the County Lions operations have spread uh, across our country and we must roll them up. Uh, that's why we're tackling them uh, directly with every technological resource at our disposal. And that's why uh, we are making sure that we invest in another 20,000 uh, more police officers going to Keithley and across the country as well. COVID-19 has now broken out in three Welsh food factories. There are 200 cases in Llangevny and Innismorn, 70 in Wrexham and 34 in Merthyr Tydfil. A plant in Germany has also seen 1,500 workers test positive. The difference there, of course, is that German employees get sick pay worth 100% of their salary. Here, workers get sick pay, which will be worth, on average, perhaps... 20% 20% of their salary? They will lose 80% of their salary? These are low-paid workers. For any future local lockdown to succeed, people need to be supported. Will he now commit to local furlough-like schemes for self-isolating workers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, as I said in my, in my statement yesterday, we do, I mean, I think the, the, the uh, job retention scheme, the coronavirus job retention scheme, the furlough scheme, uh, what we've done for uh, self-employed people, which which has also been very considerable, the expansion of of universal credit. These have been massive commitments by uh, our government uh, to uh, the workforce of this country. We will continue to make those commitments. And I I stress, as I said yesterday, that if we have to move back, and obviously we don't want to, but if we have to move back to local or indeed uh, national lockdowns, then nobody uh, should be penalised for doing the right thing. So that's that's her answer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Eastbourne's dependence on tourism and its position as a coastal community mean that it has been particularly hard hit. Indeed, this very weekend we were to stage our international tennis tournament, which puts us on the map and brings in millions of pounds. In that light, can I ask my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, if he would look at a reduction in VAT so that the hospitality sector can get back on its feet and can be part 
of the recovery and get our country moving. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, as, as I, I will certainly look at all uh, proposals that uh, she makes on, on taxation, though she, she must know they're a matter for, uh, for, the, for the Chancellor and for the next budget. Though what we've already done is to give a business rate holidays, pushing back a business rates right till the end of next year, a huge uh, coronavirus loans, bounce back loans, uh, grants of 25,000 uh, for, for every business. Uh, what we will also do uh, is support uh, tourism across the whole uh, of the UK. And I hope that you will uh, raise the, the welcome sign, put the welcome sign above uh, Eastbourne uh, this summer so that people can enjoy its attractions. Yeah. We're going to South Wales with Jessica Morden. Jessica Morden. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In order to access benefits quickly, people with unpredictable terminal conditions like motor neurone disease are having to prove they have six months or less to live and they risk losing their benefits altogether if they live longer than three years. A year has now passed since the government announced its review into access to benefits for terminally ill people, but still no progress. When is the government going to act? Uh uh, well, Mr. Speaker, we've uh, massively increased uh, our spending on universal credit, but as uh, she, she raises an important point about access to, to benefits for terminally ill people, and I will undertake, uh, if I may, uh, Mr. Speaker, to revert to her as soon as possible uh, by writing. Aaron Belt. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I have the honour to represent the market town of Newcastle under Lyme, and I'm very pleased to inform the Prime Minister that our markets are now back. However, the town is also uh, very proud of its hospitality sector. It has purple flag status, recognising the quality of its early evening and nighttime economy, the pubs, the clubs, the restaurants and the cafes. I know they will hugely welcome what the Prime Minister said yesterday, but he knows they will need further support in the months ahead. And can I ask him what the government intends to do to support the hospitality sector? Uh, well, well, Mr Speaker, I, 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 I refer my honourable friend to what I said to, to our honourable friend from uh, Eastbourne just now. Uh, we will continue to support the hospitality sector in all the ways that I have described. But of course, uh, what could also happen is that people in Newcastle under Lyme uh, could be encouraged to enjoy themselves uh, sensibly in a COVID secure way and keep the purple flag flying above Newcastle. Heading to Scotland with Dr. Philippa Whitford. Dr. Philippa Whitford. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The ongoing impact of COVID on international travel threatens over 100,000 jobs in the aerospace industry including hundreds in my own constituency. Will the Prime Minister commit to protecting vital aerospace jobs and invest in a green aviation recovery to reduce future carbon emissions? Uh, well, I, actually, I think that uh, the, the Honourable Lady has an extremely important point, and uh, I, uh, it's one that we're working on very intensively now in, in government, so that we use the opportunity of this crisis, Mr Speaker, to, to bounce forwards uh, with new uh, low-carbon technology that will continue to drive the UK's formidable aerospace industry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I've been contacted by Coatsbatch and Shal Parish Councils, along with the excellent HDC councillor Jonathan Bateman, about a proposed new waste processing facility in my patch. All I ask the Prime Minister is if you would help me organise a meeting with the relevant minister so that I can put forward the views of my constituents on this issue. <laughs> Well, Mr. Speaker, 
we, uh, we, uh, we have, of course, invested uh, a huge amount in South uh, Leicester. The local growth fund is expected to deliver 2,700 jobs, 5,000 new homes. But as I'm sure the House will understand, this is a planning decision, uh, which uh, uh, this government obviously cannot involve itself. Heading to Bedford with Mohammed Jassin. Mohammed Jassin. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Public Health England and the Joint Biosecurity Centre are undergoing a deep dive in Bedford to understand why the infection rate in my constituency is so high. The Pillar 2 commercial mass testing cases are still not been included in the individual totals for England. How does the Prime Minister know the people of Bedford and Kempston are safe to embrace his new lockdown easing measures when he doesn't know how many people are infected with coronavirus? Well, Mr. Speaker, as I think the leader of the opposition himself uh, confirmed just now, we do have uh, a pretty good estimate of what's happening in the in the country uh, overall. Uh, we think the numbers have moved uh, down uh, from, say, one in four hundred uh, four weeks ago uh, to uh, maybe one in seventeen hundred today. Mr. Speaker, the incidence uh, continues to decline. It con continues to decline across the country. Where there are particular outbreaks, particular hotspots, such as in uh, in Bedford or, or elsewhere, uh, we, we now have the resources of our test and trace operation, the Joint Biosecurity Centre, uh, which are getting better and better the whole time to implement those local uh, crackdowns and uh, cluster busting operations. Mr. Speaker, uh, many market traders and independent business owners in Aylesbury have told me how much they appreciate the tremendous help that they've received from the government during the coronavirus crisis. But we do know that sadly many people will still lose their jobs in the months ahead. And I wonder if my right honourable friend could ensure that government departments will work together to provide both the resource and the expertise that's necessary for people to learn new skills so they're fully equipped to take on new and different types of work in the future. Uh Yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. I thank him for uh, what he's doing to represent uh, his, his young constituents. It's very vital that uh, during uh, the, the, uh, what will unquestionably be uh, economically difficult uh, times, we invest in people's skills. Uh, we, and that's, we're not just uh, investing in, in training through our, our new uh, 2.5 billion uh, national skills fund. We also want to encourage as many in-work placements uh, as possible and, and get people the live experience that they need. John Speller. Prime Minister, the uh, rehabilitation of offenders is supported right the way across the political spectrum. Yet the current operation of the Disclosure and Barring Service is a major obstacle to people turning their lives around. It's inefficient, unfair and frankly discriminatory. The Lamy report dealt with this in some depth nearly two years ago. So we don't need any more commissions or inquiries. We need action and an end to the endless uh, Home Office obstruction and delay. You can break this logjam, Prime Minister. Will you do it? Actually, Mr. Speaker, uh, the right honourable gentleman raises an incredible. Any any uh, MP knows that uh, we'll have very hard cases uh, caused by the, the DBS system. It is important for the protection uh, of children and young people. Uh, but we are considering uh, the Supreme Court's uh, judgment, and we'll be setting out our opinion uh, in due course. But thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I welcome my right honourable friend's announcement yesterday that we can start to reopen our economy. And will he join me in praising the fantastic charities and volunteers across Rushcliffe 
like the West Bridgeford Community Helpers, the Cockgrave Super Kitchen, the Friary and Severday, who've worked so hard to support vulnerable people throughout the lockdown. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I have absolutely no hesitation in uh, commending and congratulating all uh, the groups that uh, she, she mentions, uh, the, the, the Friary, the Cockgrave Super Kitchen and, and the, who is it, the Westbury? The Westbury Food Community Helpers. I, I, I congratulate uh, them all. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister has stated that when we leave the EU at the end of this year, Northern Ireland will still remain a full part of the United Kingdom. Yet, I have in my hand a letter received by the management of the Port of Larne only this week stating that they have to prepare to become a border control post and 14 acres of land has been looked at for car parking or for lorry parking and for construction and there's a sense of urgency since these proposals have to go to the EU by the end of the month. Can the Prime Minister explain how Northern Ireland can remain a full part of the United Kingdom if people coming from the rest of the UK into Northern Ireland have to pass through a border control post and would he advise the management to tear this letter up as well? Mr Speaker, I, I haven't seen the letter he, uh, he described, but I can tell him absolutely categorically that uh, there will be no new uh, customs infrastructure uh, for the very simple reason that under uh, the protocol it's absolutely clear in black and white that Northern Ireland is part of the customs territory of the whole of the United Kingdom and will be joining the whole of the United Kingdom in our new independent trade policy and doing free trade deals around the world. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Right now, across the country, there are a lot of employers speaking to their staff about redundancies ahead of the furlough scheme unwinding. And sadly, for many families, it will be a hard landing moving from furlough to benefit. So, I could I really encourage my right honourable friend. I know he's done a huge amount already and deserves enormous credit for it. But could I really encourage him, to, as he thinks about his going for growth strategy, to also to consider ways to strengthen the safety net at this time? Yeah, well, I thank my right honourable friend, and uh, he's, he's quite right that uh, these, there, will, this will be, there will be tough times uh, ahead for, uh, for people and for families. That's why we massively uh, increased uh, universal credit, and we, and we stand by as we have throughout this crisis to help the British people through it. Heading to South London with Janet Davy. Janet Davy. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I've been contacted by hundreds of my constituents on racial inequality in the UK. We had the Lamb Review on the justice system. We had the race disparity audit in the workplace. We now have the independent review of the Windrush scandal. What is the Prime Minister's time frame for implementing these recommendations? Uh, well, actually, Mr. Speaker, we're getting on uh, with implementing a, a huge amount of the of the recommendations we've already had. I think 16 of 16 of the Lamy recommendations uh, have been implemented. Uh, further 17 are in progress. Two of them were not uh, progressing. The Home Secretary uh, will be setting out uh, further what we're going to do uh, later before recess about the Windrush uh, with Wendy Williams's report, Mr. Speaker. And we will go on uh, with our cross-governmental uh, commission uh, to ensure that we stamp out racism and discrimination across this country and throughout our system of government. Uh, we take it exceptionally serious and I'm, I'm glad she's raised it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As we exit the Covid crisis, we will need essential minerals to supply the UK's steel, cement and brickworks that will help our, build our homes, hospitals and infrastructure of the future. Mining these here in the UK in a sustainable way is not just better for the environment but also reduces reliance on foreign imports. 
Will my right honourable friend please assure the people of Blythe Valley that he and his government will do all they can to encourage investment and support jobs in this area? Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and uh, I can certainly say to, to him and to, to, to people of Blythe Valley, we, we are going to do absolutely everything we can in the course of our infrastructure uh, revolution to ensure that uh, UK steel manufacturers are at the front of the queue uh, for the great projects that we are going to construct. And we've already identified about uh, £3.8 billion worth of opportunities at the moment. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Elizabeth Smurthwaite, contracted coronavirus in her care home and was refused admission to hospital. This government's policy of discharging patients with coronavirus into homes has led to over 16,000 deaths. Elizabeth has since sadly passed away. Last week, the Health Secretary said he accepted responsibility for these deaths in our care homes. Does the Prime Minister? Prime Minister. Of course, Mr. Speaker, this government accepts responsibility for, and I accept responsibility for everything that has happened uh, throughout this this crisis. But I will say that uh, when you look at, uh, at what uh, happened with the discharge of patients into into care homes, it was all done according to uh, clinical decisions, as, as the NHS has uh, confirmed. And uh, actually, there was a 40% reduction uh, between January and March uh, in the number of people going from the NHS into into care homes. What we're seeing now, uh, thankfully, is a massive reduction, uh, thanks to the efforts of, of care workers and uh, our Care Home Action Programme, to get the numbers of, of, of deaths down in care homes uh, to, to the levels you'd expect to find this year. Fleet Drummond. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, last week, fatal conflict resumed in the duck on the line of actual control between India and China. What are the implications for British interests of a dispute between a Commonwealth member and the world's largest democracy on one side and a state which challenges our notion of democracy on the other? Prime Minister. I I, I thank my honourable friend, and she's absolutely right to draw the attention of the House to a a very uh, serious and worrying situation which we are monitoring closely and perhaps the best thing I can I can say to her is that we are encouraging both parties uh, to engage in dialogue uh, on the issues on the border and sort it out between them. Final question Matt Lodder. Thank you Mr Speaker. The last few days have been very difficult for our town. I want to offer my deepest condolences to the families of those who died in the dreadful attack in Forbury Gardens on Saturday evening. It is impossible to imagine what they are going through. My thoughts are also with the injured and their families and with all those who have been affected by this terrible attack. And I would like to thank Thames Valley Police and the other emergency services for their swift and effective response and for the incredible bravery shown by officers. Will the Prime Minister ensure that the investigation now receives all the resources it needs and that our town is properly supported? We have a strong and diverse community. We can and we will get through this together. Prime Minister. Uh, Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker, and I thank the Honourable Member for uh, his question and for the way he uh, expressed it, because I think the whole House shares uh, his uh, feelings of support uh, for the police, for their for their acknowledges their bravery uh, in running towards danger, and also the members of the public uh, who themselves intervened. It was it, it was a really extraordinary uh, moment, but it was also, of course, an appalling crime and an appalling tragedy. And we will make sure that uh, obviously there's a, a case that uh, must now be uh, properly proceeded with. Uh, and I would just make uh, make 
two comments. Uh, first of all, uh, if there are any lessons that we need to learn uh, about the way we handle uh, things in the future, then we will, of course, learn those lessons and act uh, in this Parliament and, and uh, by this government. Uh, but secondly, as I said yesterday to the House, and I think it's, it's a, a common view, we will not let this kind of attack, we will not let this kind of senseless murder distract us or in any way allow us uh, to be intimidated or to change our way of life.